morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome back to another episode of the Edge Podcast. How are you doing, Mr. Sorensen? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. It's been a crazy couple last days. Um, I'm just like sitting in my office here, like looking out into the hallway to this massive drywall patch on my wall that came from a problem in my renovations. So um, it's been crazy, but like today has been good. It's been pretty relaxing. It's beautiful outside. No, nothing to complain about. How are you doing? I'm doing good. What happened with your renovations? Uh, well, like he finished up and uh, left, obviously, and I was super excited. And then I had a shower in my new bathroom, and then I like went downstairs just to organize some stuff in like uh, in the storage room, and like the whole like basement was just like full of water, and I was like, "What? No!" Um, didn't know where it came from. I assumed maybe the shower, maybe like the washer dryer, but like the washer dryer had never had problems. So I cleaned it up. Like there was so much water under my floors. Like I was like squishing water out of the floors for like two hours. It was awful. And then I was like, okay, cool. Um, I had an idea of where it was coming from because there was like a new water stain on the ceiling. So I was like a little concerned, obviously. And then I was like, okay, like I have no idea where it's coming from, but like I'll monitor it over the next day or two. And then I had another shower the next morning and I was like, I'm just going to go look if it was the shower. And like, again, like just like, it was like pouring from the ceiling and there was like water everywhere. And I was like, Oh God. Um, so what it ended up happening is like where you connect the tub to like the pipes. He like thought it was like fitting perfectly, but it was like just so slightly off. So any water that wasn't going into the pipe was like going straight into like the ceiling. <laughs> um, so he had to like obviously rip out the drywall reconnect the pipes properly with new fittings and then now it's good but lots of like stuff to have to be replaced in the basement now like he has to fix the ceiling he has to replace a couple like pieces of wood um, in the ceiling because they're they're super wet Um, and then he's gonna have to potentially rip up the floors if we decide to fix them or we're just gonna like knock a bunch off his bill um, because I have to redo the floors in the spring anyway so I don't really see a huge value add in like making him fix them all when I could just you know save some money on the reno so that's probably the the way I'm gonna go but yeah it was, it was pretty hectic but it should be all all completed by tomorrow which is good yeah that is good one thing that you told me about when we talked about this a couple days ago was just how willing he was to come back and fix it which is one of the traits of of, of a good contractor is isn't it isn't necessarily the mistakes they make it's how they handle the mistakes and he like you said he came back he apologized a million times he acknowledged the problem told you exactly why it happened didn't make any excuses he owned right up to it he made a plan to fix it with you he acted upon the plan and he got it taken care of asap which is something that not a lot of contractors can actually say yeah it was yeah he was really good about it like i just i reached out to him let him know like we had a problem i wasn't like angry or anything i was just like it needs to be fixed obviously because um being that like i work with clients all the time like i know how it feels when a client calls you screaming (laughs) and it's like okay no it doesn't get anywhere no it doesn't and like as long as they're willing to fix the problem like that's great there's no point in being upset because like you can't change the fact that it happened all you can change is how you decide to react to it um and like what's done about it so he uh yeah he like got back to me he came over the exact same day like as soon as i reached out to him um and he came over at, like six so it was like pretty late it was at the end of his day um he ripped the drywall out figured out what the problem was told me what the problem was 
told me like everything's gonna be on his dime like like you said apologized like a million times showed up the next day um you know fixed all the the fittings and, and pipes and everything re-drywalled it mudded it and then he's he's been back and forth obviously because he needs to put a couple coats of mud and tape on it and stuff but um yeah he like devised a whole plan like pushed the rest of his jobs and um it was nice that he like he obviously like did it so quickly and obviously also stood behind the work that he did and was not giving me any any excuses as to like oh well this is like your problem or any anything like that because some contractors might some might not have even responded to me yeah. um and originally i was like terrified because i knew he didn't have insurance because he's just like a fix-it guy that like my mom and her friends use um really good but uh, not part of like a company so i was like fuck <laughs> this might be going through insurance but no he yeah he's been great and it should be all fixed in the next day or two which is awesome that that's that's awesome to hear that's really awesome to hear and one thing that is kind of nice about him just being a, a fix-it guy is he was able to take responsibility for it right away move other projects and get it taken care of which from a customer service standpoint was handled incredibly well but that's one of the challenges that you run into once you start getting employees is making sure that you can have people who on your team who are good enough and reliable enough and honest enough that if something happens they'll tell you why and they'll own up to it and they'll make sure that it gets fixed yeah definitely and he uh it was funny because he's he also mentioned he's like i'm like thank you for not being so like super upset like i really appreciate it and again i just kind of like i was like you know i get it i i've worked with clients who are just horrible and there's no point in me being upset at this point like you're doing everything you can to fix it and that's all i can ask so um absolutely yeah shitty shitty scenario obviously but um the way that it was handled was really awesome yeah well because and because you can even see the other side of it because you've dealt with the irrationality behind certain people's decisions when they are upset about their house and a lot of people don't realize that if they just come to you with a problem and they're very level-headed and calm about it, it's going to get dealt with right now because Definitely. you want to help them. Yeah. But when people approach, I mean, even when I was um, running my painting company, if somebody would approach me with a problem screaming and yelling at me, I would still get it dealt with the exact same way because that's what they deserve as one of my clients. But I just wouldn't want to as badly because if someone's going to come and yell at me when I'm there to give them a solution, it's like, Why? I'm, I'm here to fix the problem. Yeah, and it, it, 100%. It's, you feel a lot more um, happy to go and fix people's problems when they're dealing well with you. Because like, at the end of the day, like things happen. You know, Mistakes happen. Things get missed. You can do your best, but like you're not going to be perfect 100% of the time. Like Things happen. And if you as a client are able to you know, take a step back and be like, okay, cool. Like As long as he's going to fix it, there's no point in me being upset. Like Let's just talk about it then the person's going to want to fix that like a like quicker like you said and b like probably much much more than someone who's yelling at you because <laughs> yeah. that's not fun for anyone like you're pissed off um that they're like treating you that way they're pissed off because of their project and like it becomes a very like awkward situation to go fix that and then even after everything's perfect typically like you know they're still not happy so yeah makes it difficult but uh, absolutely and keep in mind too like that doesn't happen very often doesn't even happen very frequently but there is the odd person who gives the irrational side of things it's not like every client who's upset is entirely irrational there's a lot of people who are so great to deal with 
and they're just so open and level-headed to talk and to get a solution in place and a lot of that and the calmness from people comes from just setting proper expectation in the beginning and being super open and communicative from the very first step so that the client already has confidence in you and they feel like they don't need to scream and yell because they have the the belief in what you're actually capable of doing yeah i was gonna say um like you can tell exactly like there's a point in time like if something like that was to occur you can tell if they still respect you or if they've lost the trust and respect in you because they completely yeah. flip <laughs> if they trust and respect you they 100 percent like believe that you're going to come back and fix it and it's going to be fine but that little like switch is like they don't actually believe that you're going to do a good job and they like watch over you the whole time and make sure it's perfect or you know go above your head and try and call the office like whatever that looks like so um yeah it it, it Obviously, things happen, but I was I was super impressed by the way he dealt with things, and um, I'm going to be doing another reno in the spring, and like because of the way he's dealt with it, like originally he was going to do it, and then this happened, and I was like, there's no way, um, but just just due to like the the way that he kind of dealt with things, like he knows what he's doing, he owned up to his mistakes, and he still obviously has a, like an opportunity to potentially work with me for like a much bigger reno, um, just because of that that small. Um, customer service aspect that he took on like super seriously yeah absolutely that is super super true and that's one thing that a lot of the people we work with can really take and take value from and a lesson from of just how how applicable it is in in every part of the construction industry um, especially in painting right and that's like something i mentioned too is just that it's important to have a strong team behind you because all of our franchisees are such great people and they're super willing to make sure that anything is taken care of but it's also important that they put the time in to get the people on their team that are just as willing and just as caring and a lot of that comes from good recruiting which is something that everyone is really starting to get into right now um, i know with the addition of hierology um, as well as jazz hr a lot of people are right now we're getting a lot of applicants which is amazing to see but it's super important that, that they that they use the applicants their fullest potential they do all the different interviews and they source as many people as possible because like, we, there's a reason we preach over hiring <laughs> right yeah yeah i mean and like yeah a lot of people that i've been talking to have been getting a ridiculous amount of applicants recently which is great and like for for the rookies like I remember Kathy gave me this advice the first year. Um, you know, if there's some people in those resumes that aren't great, you should still interview them and do them first. Like, get comfortable with people who, you know, aren't your best applicants. Um, obviously, don't go do, like, 30 of them because that's a waste of time. But if you can get two to three in and, like, work out the kinks in your interview style on a couple people who aren't the strongest, um, that might be a really good way to get some practice in, um, get some extra interviews in. They might surprise you, whatever that kind of looks like. Um but using them to your full potential is is super important because this year, um, if any, there's there's definitely this whole um, notion of labor shortage. So you need to hop on them <laughs> as soon as they come in. Um, it, it, it's definitely been nice, though. I know as soon as we got on to uh, a website that we've been waiting to get onto for a couple years now, in the last day, like everyone's just had ridiculous amounts of resumes come through, which is super exciting. Yeah, yeah, one of my operators in Edmonton, Daniel Rennie, has had almost 80 resumes between Jazz HR and Hierology. He's done 45 interviews, or 43 interviews, 
and already has seven amazing people on his team. Yeah, but so again, like, that comes down to volume. And for him to get the volume of people, he has had to use multiple resources. Daniel has an incredibly high goal, so it's which is important to mention when I say what I'm about to say. But he is using both recruiting platforms. He is he has thought about doing about about boosting his ads, about boosting them in different websites such as Indeed, ZipRecruiter, other big recruiting platforms which I'm so happy to see him being willing to put the money in because when for so many years in the past, we've talked to people about spending 50 bucks on marketing, on cold callers to go out, say $200 on or $300 on money letters, and nobody bats an eye. But that's something that if you say you put $300 into money letters, you'll double, triple, quadruple your money. But... And, and we use that and we use something called the revenue per lead metric went later on in the year when looking at people's stats so we can help them determine where they should be putting a lot of their money into their marketing. But something that hasn't really been a big focus until the past couple of years is the revenue per painter. When you keep in Definitely, mind that the average yeah. painter can produce $40,000 worth of work in the summertime, even if you take a lower profit percentage on that than regular, you're still making so much more money. You can 10x, 1000x x your, your investment on the, on the recruiting cost of getting one good person. So it's so important for people to put a little bit of extra money into their recruiting as they would as if it was marketing because at the end of the day, it's going to make them so much more money back. And by having a strong team behind them, they'll have the reliability, they'll have the honesty, they'll have the integrity behind their employees' work that the A, they'll just do great work to begin with, but B, if something happens and there is a small mistake, they're super willing to fix it, they'll own up to it and they'll get it dealt with right now, which as you, as you kind of alluded to with your contractor, will lead to future work because it rebuilds trust with clients and in essence, I would almost argue that it builds more trust to show a client that you are fully capable and willing to fix a problem and show that you are an integrous human being. Yeah, and like not only spending money, but paying people really well. Like this is a topic that has been kind of more spread this year, but like paying people more at the end of the day is actually gonna make you more money. It's not gonna like save you money. Like if you try and short people on like their per hour wage or whatever, because when you pay people more, you're you're, the the amount that you're actually charging clients to do that hour of work goes up and mm. w which in essence means you're making more money higher sales clients are happy you know painters are happy you're happy because you're obviously making more money because um, like as you go up in your sales you get a higher kickback on your royalty so um, maybe in the short term like low numbers you might not be making you know that big significant difference but as you get up into the higher sales numbers that kickback becomes you know um, higher and higher and higher so you actually end up making more money which is very cool even in the lower numbers well yeah because yeah some, some people there's this misconception that if you pay somebody more you're just losing money it's coming out of your pocket but if you're gonna pay somebody more you just like you said you charge more for the job and if you're charging slightly more for the job your retail rates gonna be higher the percentage of the job you'll make assuming it stays the same, you'll make more money on a per job basis. So your base profit percentage will be the same, but your actual income will be higher. 
because you're having more expensive jobs, you're charging more per hour on jobs, and then you get into the higher brackets by increasing your revenue by the few percent per job. Yeah, definitely. And I know you mentioned like this whole idea of like, uh, I, I just kind of want to jump into it a little bit more, like the whole painters and like how it's going to make your life easier and it's going to you know make make your jobs better. Um, did you ever have like some experience of like having those better people and like how it like reflected in your business when you ran when you ran your franchise? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it started from it started from my mistakes my first year is is where I learned my biggest lessons because in my first year um, I had went into student works. And the experience that I had in uh, managing and leading was at an iron foundry. And I had about a year and a half, two years of experience leading a team of people in, in, in pouring molten metal, which when you're pouring molten metal, it's a very high stress environment. The temperature, the metal you're pouring is 2,780 degrees. Um, the employees at the iron foundry were 70 to 75% ex-convicts. And you have to manage convicts very differently than you manage university students. Uh, yeah, I could assume that. <laughs> yeah, there's a level of intensity required with ex-convicts that you don't need to have with with university students, and you don't need to do the same thing to get their respect. Um, so I took a lot of the techniques that I would use when working with the ex-cons into my business my first year, and it worked with it worked really well with two people. Um, my two of my painters, Jake and and Alan. The, those two were amazing. But the issue was, was I saw the success of that methodology with them, and I tried to apply it to my other people, and it led to a lot of turnover. Yeah, that could make sense because everyone's managed differently, right? Everyone needs to be managed incredibly differently because they're all different people. They have different needs. They have different. They need different levels of support. They need different reassurances. Everything is different with the different people. But by having that turnover towards the end of that year, I'm gonna revisit Alan in a little bit here. Sure. Um, but by having the turnover throughout that first year, it really forced me to reflect on what I did. Going into my second year, I recruited way more people in the preseason. And I overhired and it was super nice. And then when Jake came back, I paid him a ton more. And by paying him a lot more, he was willing to take on more responsibilities, which made my life easier because he was willing to help train people. He was willing to do different paint store runs. He was willing to start collecting checks from clients, do other small tasks that just made my life a lot simpler. And because he was making more money, he was happier to do his job. Now, I had already figured him out. So my second year, I spent the time figuring out how to, how to, how to drive and motivate my other employees which led to a second multi-year painter, um, Dylan. Dylan came back for my third year, and then there was also Jake, and I hired a couple other people, um, two other painters, um, one of them, Kyle. And from my third year, just by just paying people more, by taking better care of them, by teaching them how to deal with their own problems and not be reliant on myself, they just my production was a lot smoother they were happier i was happier we were all less stressed and as a result everybody from my third year came back to work for me again my fourth year nice and i had zero turnover my third year and zero turnover my fourth year i just added to my team my fourth year um, with a couple other people uh, one i ended up in or two i ended up absorbing from the other franchisee 
partway through the year just to help um, accelerate my production so I could finish all my all my production in uh, early August so I could have some time to relax since I was moving to Edmonton. Um, and then Kyle actually, from all of his experience with me, ended up actually moving to Calgary and working for you yep. for a year. Yep. But if I look back to my first year, like I said, I wanted to revisit Alan for a second. In my first year, I was paying people the minimum of what I thought that I could uh, could pay them in order to keep them around. It turns out with Alan, he wasn't quite making the amount of money that he needed to be making. Even though he was happy at work and he had great responsibility and he was taken care of and treated well, he just wasn't making what he needed to make. So he ended up actually getting a job offer from the windshield repair company, Deco, who was paying him $5 an hour more than I was. He was starting at $17 an hour and that time in Alberta minimum wage was like eleven twenty or something. Yeah. And I just in my mind couldn't justify it at the time. So I, I lost Alan, who at the time was my one thousand percent my best painter, which if I would have just paid him more, I, I perhaps could have had him for a four year painter as well. Um, because that wouldn't have pushed him away towards finding something that he was better paid. But he was very clear at the end of at the end of everything that he loved his job, he loved everything about it, but just he needed to be making more money. And I could have had him around if I was willing to just charge a little bit more to clients and pay him a little bit more so that way he could, I could afford to keep him around. Yeah, I, I honestly had a very similar experience. He's only around with me for three years, but because um, then he moved to Whistler, which is fine. But he, uh, in his first year, he, he made basic stuff. Like I think it was like fifteen seventy-five or something at the time. I think our minimum wage was fourteen or something like that when I started. Uh, and then the second year, he's like, "Oh yeah, like I want to come back, but I want to make some more money." And like, I was like, "Okay, like what are you looking at?" And he's like, "Like I don't know, like sixteen, sixteen twenty-five." And it, it, it was just so funny because my mindset, I was like, "Oh well, that's like, <laughs> that's a lot," <laughs> but it's not, right? Um, and then in his third year, he like he's like, yeah, I'm gonna come. Like, I, I like the job. I like working with you, but like, I need to make more money. I want to like make like 18 an hour. And like at that point, still didn't really fully understand the value of like having that really good experienced person on my team. But I was like, you know what? I like I like you. You get your shit done. Sure, like whatever. Um, let's do it. And then like he ended up making like more than he expected to in the summer, more than I expected him to, which was really cool. But I could tell like how much happier he actually was because I think he just felt more valued being paid like a certain amount. He's like, okay, cool. Like my hours are actually worth like what I'm making now. And like the amount that I'm making reflects the effort and, and the quality that I'm putting into this job. So that on top of kind of like some of the talks I've had with, with my district manager about this idea of paying people better, paying people more to be a part of your business um, helped me like clarify that like it's okay to pay people really well because when you pay people good, you typically are going to attract the best people. And the best mm-hmm. people are going to stay around and provide high quality for you, which then you know leads into more referrals and, and more people wanting to use you and people returning and like all these positive benefits from from you know just like showing your value through you know um, the amount that you're paying them per hour. So it's like such a simple concept. <laughs> like, do yeah. I want to go work my ass off for nine hours a day to, to make minimum wage when I could go like work at McDonald's for 15 bucks an hour and do nothing? Well, obviously McDonald's is like a, it's a pretty high pace environment too, but 
let's say like sport check or something where like it's dead half the day and it's busy half the day like you have to think about like they can make the same money doing literally like one fourth of the workload and, and it's just a summer job to them like it's not like a make or break for their entire life so paying people well to put be put in a position where they're gonna work super hard for you you know they have to stay late they will because like they understand that they're getting paid well for it um all of these little things lead to just like a much better experience as an operator i find exactly and if you have better people too it's easier to to get them bought into your vision and your goal with the business which helps with them being willing to stay late to work on the odd weekend to help you with the last push to reach your goal I know if I look back into even my second year, it was an awesome example for this. Um, I had a little bit of a deadline to hit the, because the Mexico deadline used to be the beginning of of August. Yeah. And it was one job that was my make or break. And I told my people about that and they said, you know what? No problem, Connor, let's get you to Mexico. And they stayed, I think they worked 12 hour days for two or three days straight. And we finished the job ahead of schedule faster than we even needed to to make the deadline. We got an extra job in on the payroll, but one, but they were bought into the vision. They were acceptance, and they had the, they wanted to work for me because they knew that I was working for them and keeping them happy and paying them well, and just doing what I could for them. So they'll be a lot more willing to do what they can for you. Yeah, and on that, I actually have an opposite example. <laughs> um, obviously, I've learned from it. It was in my first year. Uh, my painters same same thing I had like three grand to get to Mexico like a week to do it um, and I was like okay like it's tight but I can make it work and uh, and then it rained t- for two days and I was like uh oh <laughs> I was like okay guys like I, I, t- I told them about it I told them like this is the cutoff this is when we need to check by we need to make sure the client's happy and just due to like my management style and not like really a like not setting clear expectations but B like probably just not being as good of a manager as I obviously could have been, um, being that I was learning and like, you know, I just hadn't got it yet. Um, they didn't care. Like they just worked like so slow. So I ended up having to paint for like 12 hours a day for three days while they were there on like just a basic job that was only like, you know, a typical budget for three days to, to like get there. So I, I, <laughs> I was on an office example where like I hadn't like bought my painters into this idea of, of being a part of this team and like that we were like just one unit, like working collectively towards the same goal. Um, I like, I hadn't established that yet. So like my painters didn't buy into that idea and like it almost cost me that. So yeah, it, it's important, like extremely important. What's the biggest thing you've changed since then? Um, I would say the big, like, honestly, like, the biggest, well, I, I'd say there's two. So one was, like, what we talked about kind of at the start, like, learning that everybody needs to be managed differently. Um, that was the biggest one, I think. And, like, just trying to, like, understand them as people instead of just, like, they're working for me, but, like, really actually caring about them. Um, that was kind of, like, the biggest one for me. Um, and then the second one was just setting really strong expectations of, like, what their job was, why they're here, what our goal was for the year, and what my my job kind of looks like because in my first year a lot of my painters figured that I was just a painter as well because like I had not set good expectations of like what my position was in the company like they knew I hired them um 
but they saw me on every job site and like sometimes I'd hang around and like help them paint a bit and then like I'd leave and then I'd come back and like pick up checks like so I feel like they just thought I was more of like a glorified painter who like took on more responsibility for this business um, rather than like I'm the business owner who needs to do all these other things in the background um, you know do quotes do bookings do marketing do all the forms make sure you're paid like schedule everything go do test patches talk to clients um, they they didn't see that because I didn't set the expectation of like this is your your position this is why I've hired you this is what we're working towards and this is what I do on the backside and this is how I help you stay busy for the summer so um, just really like simplifying and, and clarifying my role and and then obviously also ensuring that I'm managing people how they should be managed not how just you know like one size fits all kind of idea yeah and inside of all those different changes, which one do you think was the most important for encouraging the, the buy-in? Most definitely would be um, just talking to them about the overall vision of like what I want, like the type of people I want, the type of team I want, um, and just like making them understand more clearly like the goal of the summer. And like one big thing that I've changed too is like even in my interview process, I ask people you know, like, what are three goals that you want to do personally this year? And they're always, like, super thrown off, but I kind of justify it by saying, like, I understand that, like, you're applying for this position, but it's not just about this position. Like, you have goals that you want to hit, whether it's during the summer or or not, and I want to ensure that we're getting you there. Like, if, if I can help you in any way in a personal manner, I would love to do that. I would love to help you get closer to it if I can. So just kind of, like, caring about them more as people yeah and if and by showing that you care about their goals they will actually care about your goals on an internal level that's something that's one of my operators last year kennedy gramlich did actually very well um in the beginning very for sure and also she continued it throughout the year was when she was hiring people she would ask them about their personal goals and when she was doing their their painter setup meetings, she would get them get their their personal goals established and try to show that she was wanting to wanting and willing to help them reach those points. Yeah, that's cool, and and that's kind of like that was the idea for me is like I want to show them that I actually care about them. Like, yes, they're an employee, but it's it's more about that long term relationship. Um, I was on the phone with with my district manager Jordan yesterday, and we were talking about this idea of longer term relationships, and we were kind of talking about how like. You know, a painter, like, it's a short-term relationship, but it can become a long-term relationship if it's dealt with properly. And, like, a client, yep. like, that's a short, very short-term relationship for the most part, but when you start working with them over a couple months, now it becomes a little bit more of a, a short-term but but longer-term relationship. But, like, if you treat it well, it become a really long relationship, right? So we were talking just about the different ways that the people are treated and, like, the amount of time that they're actually, like, in your scope, I guess, but it doesn't really matter because you need to like look at this much, much larger um, overview of how all of those like interactions actually play into one another. Yeah, and Jordan and Trent are probably the world's greatest example for this. Jordan and Trent have been working together for what ten years now. Trent yep. started as one of Jordan's cold callers, who then I th I'm not sure if he became a painter or not. He may or may not have became a painter in the meantime. But then between cold calling, went to being a franchisee. Um, Jordan ended up district managing him and now Trent is in ProWorks and that was because Jordan was looking at it from a very long-term perspective along the way and he really fostered that relationship and that's something that we even do in our setup meetings with our people 
is we talk to them about their non-financial goals as well, their other personal goals, things they want to do, things they want to accomplish in school. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that's the concept that I've kind of like realized with painters is like, it's not as like cut and dry of like you're painting for me for the summer. How much money do you want to make? Like it, there's, they're a person, right? Like you have to think about that. They have their own things in their life. They have personal things they want to do. They have goals for themselves. So like getting to know your painters and, and understanding them a bit better is, is a huge part of it. And like, you know, tacking that on to paying them well and, and spending money on recruiting, um, all of these things play into one another like super smoothly um, and can impact your summer so being like more overarching and like i guess like selfless you could call it and and actually caring about them and like paying them well um and not worrying about like the short-term financial aspect of like having to pay for for good people is actually going to help you long term so like it's a juggling act of like like what do you want out of it at the end of the day? Because if you're not paying for good employees and you're not recruiting for good employees, you're not going to find good employees. You might find the odd good one, but instead of having 10 rock stars on your team, you might have three and the other ones are kind of filtering out all summer because, you know, they find better jobs. They don't care about it or they don't show up. Like you, you pay for what you get really at the end of the day with, with regards to recruiting. Yeah. And I think that's something that we're slowly starting to learn more and more each year. Yeah. So I think it's cool. Like, you know, I think it's cool that Daniel's spending a bunch of money on recruiting. That's awesome. Cause like, I'm sure his team's going to be freaking awesome and it's going to push him to do more work because if you have good people, like they crush your workout and you have to go find more work for them or else you're going to lose them. Like it's, it's a simple concept. (laughs) Exactly. And part of what's driving him too, is just, he saw the impact of not overhiring last year. He overhired in the beginning, but then once we got into production season, he had a very strong team. But his his strongest crew um, were a couple of hockey players, I think, for the U of A, and they ended up having to move to somewhere in Saskatchewan for a hockey camp or hockey school or something hockey related. And it really just caught Daniel off guard because they didn't know it was going to happen, and Daniel didn't know. And because he didn't have an abundance of people left over, he was really screwed for a couple of weeks because he wasn't ready for it. But as it took time to get people into the interview process to start to train people to get them to the point that that crew was. So that's something that he's really working to avoid this year. That's where it's really cool to see that as of right now, he has seven people hired, which is incredibly impressive. But he is he wants to have 12 by the end of February. And then he wants to continue it, continue to do interviews and continue to have people in the interview stage. So then should somebody back out, he has somebody else to replace them. And what is something that I even faced with, uh, with, with Alan. And like, what what does he need? Like, what does he need for painters? Does he need like eight? Is is that like the the number eight, nine? He, he he needs eight. Okay. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. If you can over hire by 30%, um, you're typically going to be covering yourself in case something happens. And then if someone leaves, you have to hire someone else because you need to be overhired. Um, exactly. And and worst case scenario, everyone's rock stars. Just book more work. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't, like for a week or two, you know, someone's always going to need a painter in your city. Uh, you know, if yeah. you're in a city. If you're in a small town, maybe, maybe not. It might be a little bit more difficult. You'll have to go book more work. Um, but in a city, like, you know, for example... 
um, you know, 20 operators in the city of Edmonton, for example, if, if Daniel has two painters who he doesn't have work for for two weeks because he needs to go out and book a shit ton of work, he can just call like some other operators. And I'm sure there's people who, who need a painter. Um, so it's always good to be in a position of, of control. But also, when you are overhired, you can literally pick the best people from those people you've hired. And if there's two or three people who are like good, but not all stars, that's okay because you already have all these other amazing people who are in your business that are going to work really hard for you. So it, it's nice to be able to pick and choose. It, it's, it's very similar to sales. You know, when you're doing good in sales, when you're ahead of your goal, if you have a client who you don't like, you don't have to work with them because it's your choice. But when you're really significantly behind it, you might end up like pushing yourself to work with a client that you typically wouldn't because you know they're going to be a headache. So it, it, it's, yeah. it gives you a lot of power of like being able to actually choose what you want for your business, which is very cool. So Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I, I think... Very, very true in saying that. I, I think it's, it, it's, it's funny because it's February, right? And like we're not painting for two and a half months, but it it's important to start now and like actually take it very seriously because as the summer gets closer and closer and closer, you have a lot less flexibility to find amazing people. And like it comes yeah. very quickly. Um, and, and it's all the best people that are out, out looking for jobs now. Yeah. And it, it, that's a crazy concept to some of the franchisees. But if you look at it, we started talking to a lot of the people we have as franchisees in September. They're the absolute rock stars and it was many months before some. It was at the end of the last summer that they started looking for things for next summer. So it's very naive to think that you can still that you're still guaranteed to get the same quality of employees in April, May as you would if you were looking right now. Yeah, I've found that most of the time my teams, the people who stick out all summer, um, there's you know there's the obvious like one or two people who filter out. I've actually had very good retention throughout summers, which I'm lucky about. Um, but the people that stay all summer and are my best people, I usually hire in February and March. None of them come through in April. Yeah. It's always the people who are early, who are on top of their stuff, want to secure a position now, um, because they're the people who actually like are like I said on top of their stuff and and want to get things set up early. Yeah, something I want to actually pick on that you just said, you said you've had pretty very good retention in the past, which you're lucky about. Were you actually lucky about it or did you just do the right things, pay people right, take care of them, which led to the right retention, right? That's that's a concept that I have Fair. very interesting <laughs> talks with some of my franchisees, but the whole concept of, of luck in, in the business, in terms of marketing, in terms of of recruiting, right? You can... You can say that you're being lucky by having better retention, but what it is is it's it's the it's the accumulation of efforts throughout the year that have led to you having this team to between paying them enough, taking care of them, making sure they're happy, giving them good work, good um, quality employment that makes them stay. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I think. Yeah, maybe maybe it's not so much luck because like ever since my first summer where I got like a nice smack in the face on how to actually like manage people, <laughs> um, pretty much every summer since then my people have stayed the entire summer outside of one or two painters and people have returned yeah. and um, yeah I I mean I think the time that you put in and like actually care about your people will significantly reflect in people staying people wanting to stay people wanting to come back 
um, and wanting to use you as a reference. Like, I've actually been a reference for a lot of my painters, which is super cool because That's they could fun. pick anyone, yeah. right? But they decide to pick me um, as, as their primary reference, which is super cool, um, but also reflects the relationship that we had, that they feel comfortable that I can be that person for them. Which is good to be, who have been able to build that, mm-hmm. but I think that's a a pretty good spot to start wrapping this up at. I would say. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's one thing that I want to address very briefly at the end of this, just in relation to the last episode. We had one of the listeners reach out to us just with a a comment, a little bit of feedback on the last episode where we talked about just uh, wellness specifically. Yeah. Um, they had a little bit of feedback that is actually very important to mention on this for people who are listening to this. Um, the idea of intermittent fasting, it's a great concept for some people to try, but whether or not you try it comes down to your own personal goals and your relationship with food because it can be very beneficial, but it can also be very detrimental. And if not done properly, It can lead to an unhealthy calorie deficit throughout your day. So it's very important that if anybody is looking into doing that for the purpose of of fat loss or of weight loss, of whatever your goal actually may be for it, that you properly educate yourself first um, for what it would be for you. Because there's some people it just doesn't work for. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it doesn't work uh, like long-term physically for because it can form an unhealthy relationship. It can lead to a lack of energy level depending on your actual physiology. And it's very important to not use that as as a blanket solution. It's important to know that if somebody is looking into doing that, that you do your research first. Yeah, 100%. And like, yeah, same, same listener reached out to me too. And just like with the concept of like the whole, you know, not everything's the same for everyone, right? Like some people it works great for some people, you know, it wouldn't great work great for some people have certain fitness goals where like it, it doesn't work, you know? So like just making sure that you, like you just said, like you are educated, you know exactly what it is. Um, maybe you test it dependent upon obviously what, what you're hoping to get out of it. And if you do have like an unhealthy relationship with food, like maybe really consult uh, a nutritionist about it before you even think about doing it. Like there's a lot of different steps you can take, but yeah, it's, it's definitely just something that we found successful and that we enjoy, but it's definitely not something that is like a must, must have for every single person. Very true. And on that too, we love when people reach out to us with different things about the podcast, about what they liked, what they didn't like, any feedback, if you agree with something we've said, if you disagree, if you want to say we have a talk about one concept, if you want to come on and debate us to be the other side, we would love it. So as anything comes up or if anybody has any feedback, please reach out. We love to hear it. But with that, uh, I hope that everyone has a great rest of their morning, afternoon or evening and we will talk to you next week. Hey listeners, thank you for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to click the subscribe button and give us a follow at The Edge Pod on Instagram. We hope you have an amazing week, push for your goals, and remember, stay off your ass.